0: Lord, I pray that our heart would be good ground, that your um, that your word would come into our heart. It'd be planted in there, and that it would be covered over, Lord Jesus, so that it, it's deep, deep down in our hearts. That's what the word of God says. I've hidden your heart, your word in my heart, Lord. That we take your word and it gets hidden in our heart, Lord Jesus, so that it can be it can produce fruitfulness in us. So, Lord, I pray that that would be the case today, and I thank you, Lord, for it. Amen. So yesterday, or yesterday, last Sunday, we started on a series called Becoming an Overcomer. Becoming an Overcomer. And um, we're going to have part two. So last week, we identified what you're to overcome. All right? We identified what it is that you're supposed to overcome, what I'm supposed to overcome. Then this week, we're going to confront what it is that we're supposed to overcome. First, got to know what it is. Then you got to stand up eye to eye against your enemy and say, All right, you're it. <laughs> I'm coming after you. And the next week, possibly the following week, I would like to share some tips on how you can overcome these three bullies that we talked about last, last week. All right? So before you can overcome something, you need to know what you were overcoming. You need to know what you're overcoming. I guarantee you, you and me, we fight the wrong enemies all the time. We fight the wrong enemies. We're we're looking eye to eye at the wrong stuff. And if we turned around and faced these three bullies and figured out what those three bullies are or who they are, we would become overcomers. But we fight the wrong battles all the time. Let me tell you what, you're not trying to overcome. You're not trying to overcome poverty. You're not trying to. That's not the enemy. Poverty is not the enemy. All right? Listen, listen to me. You're not trying to overcome addiction. How many of you have addictive personalities? And I'm the first to raise my hand. You have addictive personalities. You're not trying to overcome addiction. All right? That's not your enemy. Listen to me. Your enemy is not a, a poor self-image. All right? I'd be the first one to tell you I struggle with self-image. That's not your enemy, but you fight it all the time. Bad self-image. I'm not everything that I'm supposed to be. I don't compare to so-and-so. That's not your battle. Your, Your battle is not mental struggles. We talk about this all the time. We fight in our brains all the time. This thought, that thought, and we're fighting. That's not your enemy. Mental struggles are not your enemy. A bad marriage is not your enemy, all right? confused gender identity is not your enemy, all right? Someone that's struggling with homosexuality and, and they're on one side of the fence where they're trying not to be that way, they think, that's my enemy. That's not your enemy. And then the person that flips over and says, all right, I'm going to go ahead and pursue an alternate lifestyle, and then they fight, uh, you know, a straight lifestyle, all right? That's not your enemy either, All right? that's not the enemy. Loneliness is not your enemy. Your past is not your enemy. Sickness isn't your enemy. You know what? Depression is not your enemy. It's not your enemy. You're fighting the wrong battles if this is what you're trying to push against. A bad boss, a bad work situation, those, that, those things are not your enemy. You and I, we have three bullies, and those are our enemies. All right, I'm going to tell you. We're going to look in the Word of God and see what these three things are. And let me tell you, when you and I, we get our eyes fixed on who our real enemy is, we're going to start winning. You're going to become an overcomer. See, so you don't. We said this last Sunday. You don't want to just overcome. You want to be an overcomer. You want to be an overcomer. The Bible says that we're, we don't conquer, it says we're more than conquerors. That's our identity. We're there as winners. We're there as overcomers. So last week, um, we, we introduced this, and now we're going we're gonna to confront it, all right? So if you look in Matthew 13, that's where we're going to be at most of the time here if you want to follow along. And then in your little experience sheets, read about it this week. Confront experience confronting your enemy. But let's start reading in Matthew 13:1, and it's our favorite our favorite person in the whole Bible. Who do you think that is? Jesus, that's right. Did you notice in our songs it said Jesus over and over, and we're singing to Jesus and how wonderful Jesus is? He is our hero, all right? And so here's a story about Jesus. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such great crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it, all right? Modern day, if he would have been on Instagram, he would have had who knows how many subscribers. YouTube, he would have been all over YouTube. He would have had millions. I think one of the biggest YouTube subscriber bases is is, uh, Dude Perfect, they have what, 34 million subscribers? I mean, Jesus, he would have had a lot of subscribers on social media. He would have been watched and followed like you wouldn't believe. So here he has a crowd of people While all these people stood at the shore, he told them many things in parables. Do you know what a parable is? Stories. Jesus told stories all the time. When somebody tells me a story, hey, I'll listen. You start talking theory, I'm going to shut down. I'm going to start staring at the, you know... Give me a story, and I'll I'll listen to you. So he starts telling them a story. He says, a farmer went out to sow his seed. So here's a farmer. He's got probably a bag beside him, all right? And he's throwing out seed, all right? As he's scattering the seed, some fell upon the path. Now, you're going to bear with me, because I'm going to be skipping around here, all right? So be ready to jump down here to another verse here in a second. But verse 4, it says, he scattered seed, that fell on the path. Now what was what was it with a path? It's it's where people walk. So tell me how you think the path was. Hard. It was hard. It was hard. See, when you walk on a path, it gets hard, and the seed just sits on top of the path. Well, look what happens. The bird sees that seed sitting there and swoops down gets that seed and in the account that Luke gives of this story it says more it says that seed was trampled on people walked on it and crushed it and made it completely useless we'll do this let's read this this set of verses a little different skip down to verse 19 all right we're in verse 4 now skip down into 19 and Jesus interprets his parable all right here's what he says this meant Anybody that's like the seed that landed on the path, he said, anyone who hears the message of the kingdom, whose kingdom? Jesus' kingdom. Anyone who hears the message of the kingdom and does not understand it, why didn't they understand it? Because they're hard. They didn't listen because they're hard. They can't understand because they they don't care to understand. They don't want to understand. All right? The evil one, who's the evil one? What's that? The the devil, Satan, he's like that bird, comes down down and snatches away what was tried to be sown in their heart. And that's what the seed is like that was sown along the path. Have you ever had a hard heart before? I have. (laughs) I've had a really. Did you know I still have parts of my life that are hard right now? And I don't even realize it. And you know what? You're the same way. We're all the same. We have, if you don't have a hard heart in total, you have some hard parts in your heart. And we need to always realize all our life will be a constant process of God breaking up. Have you ever seen one of those tools? That's, it's kind of got two handles. It's a long pole, and then it has four things that kind of like metal things, and you press it down and twist the ground You know what? God does that in your life. (laughs) He takes this, he finds a hard part of your heart, and he takes this four-pronged thing and he jabs it right into your heart. It hurts. It's painful. And he twists it around and you're like, oh, I hate this. This hurts. Can you stop God already? He might do it with a boss. He might do it with your spouse. Did you know Tina's done that to me before? All right. He might do it with your mom. My mom's done this to me before. Your dad. He does that. A situation, a tough... You, somebody at work, if you're in the school system, some of you are in the school system, and you have trials and tribulations. You know, a college student doesn't know where they want to end up and God's turning some ground there by that, that lack of clarity. Maybe, maybe some you have some enemies at work, And he's using those enemies at work to break up some some hard ground. But you know what? Here's the number one thing that makes you hard-hearted. It's selfishness. Self-centeredness. Self-absorption. Somebody who's me, 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 me. That's a hard-hearted person. And I guarantee you every single one of us has problems with being self-centered. Because we just are. We think about ourselves. If you were to log all your thoughts, I guarantee a high percentage of them would be about moi. (laughs) Me, all right? And so what do you do with a hard heart? Well, you do what Revelations 3.20 says that we talked about last Sunday. You open your hard heart to God and say, come on in, God. You might have opened your heart into your life, but then there's these little rooms we talked about last Sunday that you got the door shut really tight to God. He's in your living room, but he's not in your bedroom. (laughs) He's in your living room, but he's not in the kitchen. You need to open every door of your... That's what you do with a hard heart. See, you can't not be selfish. You can't quit being selfish. What, what The person that can, though, is Jesus. He can help you to stop being selfish. You just open your heart and say, Come on in, God. I can't control this area of my heart anymore. You come on in. You know, whenever you open your heart to Jesus, just a word of warning, you're opening your heart to people. <laughs> Do you hear me? When you say... Jesus, come into my heart. You're also saying, I'm I'm opening my heart to others. I'm opening my heart to others. I'm going to stop thinking about myself so much, and I'm going to start thinking about other people. Once I was telling, I was having this really cool talk with the Lord. I was just talking to him, praying, and I told Jesus, Jesus, you've done so much for me. I want to do something special for you. And I was having this conversation with God. I want to do something I'm not a poet, but I would write a poem for you, Jesus. I'm not a songwriter, but I would write a song for you, God. What could I do special for you, Jesus? And you know what he told me? (laughs) He said, if you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. If you've done it to the least of these, you've done it to me. Who are the least of these? I'll tell you what. People that just need God. (laughs) The unlovable (laughs) The people that don't know Jesus, the least of these would be, uh, and I'm not looking down on these people, I'm just throwing out ideas, but it's homebound people. What about going and visiting Sister Leone and giving a little bit of your time to someone other than your busy schedule? All right? It would be going to the hospital when somebody's in the hospital and giving a little bit of your busy time to someone else other than you. All right? That's what doing it to the least of these is. Is, is saying, I'm going to make a little bit of time in my schedule for someone else. That's what I'm saying. When you open the door to Jesus, he's saying, I'm not the only one coming into your life. I'm bringing some people with me, all right? And you stop thinking so much about just yourself and you say, God, I want to die to myself and I want to start living for you and I want to start living for others. It's life-changing. It's life-changing. I've got a long ways to go, but I guarantee you probably do too. We've got a long ways to go on this. But that's that hard ground. That's where the, the seed was laid on the hard, hard to it's, say it's the selfish person. When are we going to stop being so consumed with ourselves? Look at this. Hebrews 3 verses 7 and, and all the way probably through about 19. Let me read it to you. And let this sink in. As I'm reading it to you, read it with me and let it Let that seed sink down into your heart. It says so, as the Holy Spirit says, today, when's today? Well, right now it's Sunday. When's today tomorrow? Well, it'll be Monday. So it's every day. Today, if you hear his voice, whose voice? God's voice, do not harden your hearts. When you hear God's voice, don't harden your heart. As you did in the rebellion You know what? Somebody that's got a hard heart is just a little bit rebellious, maybe a lot rebellious. Rebellious person says, I'm going to do it my way. I don't care what you tell me. Tell me what to do and I'll do the opposite. That's a rebellious person. That's a hard-hearted person. During the time of testing in the wilderness, where is it that you can get hardened? When you're in a wilderness experience. Are you in a wilderness experience right now? Are you in a dry time right now? It's really easy to harden your heart in those times and say, God, no. You've given me a hard life. I'm going to blow you off, God. I'm not going to listen to you anymore. I'm going to do it my way. That's what a hard-hearted person would say. Where your ancestors were tested and tried me for 40 years as you saw that, that, what they did. That's why I was angry with that generation. I said, their hearts always go astray and they have not known my ways. So I declare on oath in my anger, they shall never enter my rest. And I was talking to this uh, former drug user yesterday at our men's uh, deal. His name's Michael we're sitting around talking, and he said, you know what? When I came and I opened my heart to Jesus, I finally felt like I could rest. I finally felt like I could rest. So if you're looking in your life, and you're saying, I don't have, I can't rest. And I'm not talking about kicking back and watching TV. I'm not talking that rest. I'm talking a soulful rest where you can be working, but resting. You know, having the restfulness of the Holy Spirit around you, that's the rest that I'm talking about. And this this former drug user told me, he said, I can finally rest. Why? Because he's not hard-hearted anymore. He's doing it God's way instead of his own way. So instead of reading the rest of this, I encourage you to read Hebrews 3. It's on your experience sheet this week. Read it and let it kind of sink into you. But let me ask you, with all these descriptions I've given you, are you a hard-hearted person? Think about that. Am I a hard-hearted person? When God talks to me, do I listen to him and obey? Or do I say, no, God, I don't really want to do it your way. I want to do it my way. Let's read on. Now we're going to go into Matthew 3, verse 10. The disciples, and you're seeing that I'm jumping around here, so we're skipping back up to verse 10. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak? We're still on hard-hearted, okay? We haven't changed subjects here. The disciples came to him and asked, why do you speak to the people in parables? Why do you do that, Jesus? And he replied, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you and not to them. (laughs) Sir. 13. 13, I'm sorry. Thank you for correcting me. Matthew 13, verse 10. The disciples asked him, Why do you speak to the people in parables? Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. That sounds harsh. Jesus, are you that kind of person? You only let some people learn and others know? No, if you're hard-hearted, you're not going to be able to learn from Jesus. And he didn't give parables to make things clear. He actually gave parables to obscure the truth that was being communicated. That's shocking. But it's your decision. It's my decision if we're going to be hard-hearted. It's your decision. You make up your mind. And it's you versus them. So i got to ask you, when was the last time that God explained something to you? (laughs) When was the last time God explained something to you? And if it was recently, thank God. But if it's been a long time, question if you have a hard heart. That's true. The very thing he might be trying to explain to you is you have a hard heart. I have a hard heart. All right. Listen to God and react to what he's saying. Let's read on in verse 12. Still on the hard heart thing, because there's three bullies. We're just on number one still. Whoever has will be given more. Whoever has what? A broken and soft heart. Whoever has a broken and soft, open heart will be given more and will be given in abundance. But whoever does not have a broken, soft, responsive heart, even what they have will be taken away from them. Do you have an open heart to God? He said, this is why I speak to them in parables (laughs) right here. All right. Those seen. They do not see through hearing, they do not understand, and in them is the fulfillment of the prophecy of Isaiah. And if you'd like, you can turn to Isaiah 6 and you'll see the prophecy itself. I'll read it to you instead of reading what Jesus quoted, I'll read you the prophecy given hundreds of years prior. And Jesus said, "It's being fulfilled right near now." Here's what, it, in Isaiah six eight. But let me give you the backdrop of Isaiah six. So Isaiah is a young man. He's a young man, and he has a vision of God in heaven, and is the train of his robe fill the temple, and there was smoke and the glory of God, and there's these angels crying, "Holy, holy, holy," and Isaiah is seeing all of this and he can't take it in. He says, oh, God, have mercy on me because I'm a man of unclean lips. And I live among a people of unclean lips. And so an angel goes in his vision, gets a a coal with some tongs from the altar, places them on his lips. Can you imagine burning coal being placed on your lips? But the, the angel says, or maybe God says, your sin is atoned for. And then God says, who can I send? <laughs> He's looking around. Isaiah's standing right in front of him. Who can I send? And Isaiah says, send me, I'll go. He didn't know what he was signing up for. <laughs> he said, send me, I'll go. And God says, fine. And here's where it starts, Isaiah 6, 8. He says, whom shall I send who will go for us? Here I am, send me. He says, go and tell these people. Tells them something really harsh. He says, be ever hearing and never understanding. Be seeing and never perceiving. Make the people of this heart calloused, hard. All right? Was God making their hearts hard? No. They were making their own hearts hard. He said, their ears will be dull. Their eyes will be closed. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes and hear with their ears and understand with their hearts and turn and be healed. But they won't because they're hard-hearted people. And then Isaiah says, well, how long do I say this? He says, until the cities lie ruined without inhabitants, until the houses are left deserted, until the fields are ruined and ravaged, until the Lord has sent everyone far away and the land is utterly forsaken. How would you like that for a calling from God? (laughs) How would you like for God to say, I'm going to call you to do something that's going to be completely failed? you're not going to see anybody saved, you're not going to see anything happen, all right? How would you like that? And Jesus says hundreds of years later, it's happening right now. The prophecy is fulfilled right now. With all these people, disciples, you see all these people, they're hard-hearted people. Now, I can't, I can't speak for anybody but myself. I can't Make brother Jimmy not hard hearted. I can't make my kids hard hearted, not hard hearted. I all I can do is me. Do you hear me? That's the only person I can deal with. You have got to deal with you. Listen to the voice of the Holy Spirit and do what the Holy Spirit is telling you to do and stop being so self centered, man. But we do it anyways. Yeah. It's hard. But look at Isaiah. God told him to go tell people anyways. That's the mercy of our God. <laughs> but my point is, let's not worry about all those people out there today. Let's worry about you and me. Okay. And ask yourself, are you hard-hearted? Are you self-centered? And if so, what do you need to do? You need to open the door of your heart. The doors of your heart to Jesus. All right. So let me reinforce this. You're not oh you're not here to overcome your panic attacks. If I were to ask some of you to raise your hands, you say, Yeah, I have panic attacks. That's not your enemy. You're not here. Some of us are extremely fearful. We're fearful to walk out the door. We're fearful to do this. We're fearful to go put gas in our tank. We're fearful, you're not that's not your enemy. Fear is not your enemy. Obsessions not your enemy. Addiction, depression, not even sin. Your number one enemy is yourself. That's your enemy. And if you will begin to confront yourself, look at yourself in the mirror and say, you're going down, buddy. <laughs> I'm going to take you down, and I'm going to let Jesus into my life, and I'm going to start living for him and not myself. You will be an overcomer. And you will win like you've never won before because you're taking yourself out of the equation. Let me tell you, the devil can't do anything if you're dead. All right? I'm not talking about physically dead. But if yourself has been crucified with Christ and you no longer live but Christ lives in you, the devil has no more power in your life. Because he's a parasite, he goes in and latches on to the self-centered person and, and takes them down with addictions, depressions, fear, lust, whatever. He takes them down. But if me, I die to myself and I live to Christ, he has nothing to latch on to. All right? So, number one. Here's the number two. Number two, bully. Let's go back. Matthew 13, verse 5. See how we're kind of skipping around? Verse 5, go back up to the top. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. The seed or you know sprung up into a plant quickly because the soil was shallow. All right, so there's a rock right below the surface there. There's some little bit of soil, it springs up, but what happens? When the sun comes up, the plant is scorched, they're withered. Because they don't have a root. It can't get down deep because there's a rock blocking it. So now jump down to verse 20. And I'll, we'll see what Jesus' interpretation was. A seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone, a person, who hears the word of God. And at once they receive it with joy. They open up their heart and say, Jesus, come into my life. I love you. Jesus, I want more of you. And then verse 21, but since they have no root because there's a rock... They last only a short time. Have you ever seen people that come for four weeks, one week, and then you never see them again? What happened to so-and-so? I don't know. I'll never forget confronting this doctor, all right? A medical doctor, well-to-do. He'd come to church, not this church, but a different church, for four weeks, and I felt the Holy Spirit tell me, hey, you need to go talk to that guy because he's going to be tempted to not come back anymore. So as he was walking out the church... I walk up to him and I said, I can't, I think his name was David. I said, David, I want to tell you something. Said, yeah, talk to me. Because he was in church, man. He was excited about God. And I said, David, I want to tell you something. When you come to church, there's kind of this four to six week rule thing that happens. And you come. And then something distracts you or something bad happens. And then you just don't come anymore. I said, be careful because you're right at the four-week mark right now. He said, well, thanks for telling me, Steve. You have no worries. You know what? I never saw him again. (laughs) All right? I'm telling you, the rocks are down there. And if you don't get those rocks out, you're not going to last. Or... You could be one of those Christians that just thinks going to church is all you need to do. And that's, there's so, you know, I believe in going to church, believe me. I believe in the gathering of believers, but it is not the end all. Let me tell you, my friend, all right? People can come to church four times a week and not ever overcome the rocks in their life. I'm telling you, church is not the most important thing in your life. It's a very important thing. But your devotional life, I would argue, is more important than your church life. They go hand in hand. You need both of them. Your prayer life is more important. Your ability to cope with work is is very important. There's so many things to our Christian life. So these rocks. So uh, this seed, verse 20, falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word. It wants to receive it with joy. But since they have no root, they don't last but a short time when trouble persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. Don't worry. We have about 12 more minutes. All right. I'm not in a hurry. I'm just telling you. All right. So what are these rocks? And I'll tell you right off the bat, it's bully number two. It's your sin. It's your sin. These rocks are your sins. Now I'm not talking about, oops, I messed up here or Oh, I let this bad word fly off. You know, it just light little things. Oh, I'm so sorry. You know, I watched that movie last night with Immorality and I just slipped up. And, and that's sin, by the way. <laughs> Everybody hear me? All right. You watch sin, you're sinning. Plain and simple. I'm so, but I'm not talking about that sin. I'm talking about besetting sins. Do you know what a besetting sin is? That's the sin where. You can't help yourself. You keep doing the same thing over and over and over again, and you can't help your sin, yourself. I, I was talking a, a while back. I was talking to a teenage young man who was struggling with pornography. So he's getting on to you know, different things and looking at stuff. And this young man told me something I'll never forget. He said, I can't stop. I can't stop. I want to stop, but I can't that's the sin that I'm talking about. It's where you can't stop doing what you're trying to stop doing. And um, Romans seven fourteen 14 uh, through 17 describes this perfectly. Well, it talks about being sold as a slave to sin. You're a slave to sin. It says, I don't understand what I do. I try not to do it, but then I do what I hate to do. And if I don't do what I want to do. I agree that the law is good. In verse 17, it says, It is no longer I myself doing it. It's sin, listen to this, living inside of me. Sin living inside of me. It's a rock inside of you. All right? That's the sin that we're talking about. And it says in Romans uh, 6, 6, 12, it says, Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal bodies. So that you obey its evil desires. See, you got to be careful. Sin can start reigning over you and in you, and it's really problematic. So Romans 8, 1 kind of gives us a hint, a clue as to how we can get rid of this besetting sin. It says, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. See, this is crazy. You can have sin inside of you, all right? So what I do, I go over and I get inside of Jesus, Sin is in me, but you know what? I'm in Jesus. And little by little, he starts digging up that rock. He starts digging up that rock. But you know what he does before he digs up that rock? He takes the soil, the little thin part of soil on top of that rock, and he rakes it off. And you know what? That hurts really bad. Because you're saying, God, I have this much goodness in me. You're taking even the goodness away from me. You're raking off the soil off the top of, what are you doing, God? And he says, I'm not done yet. (laughs) I've got a shovel. He brings in a shovel. What, God? I'm exposed. All my righteousness is gone. All the soil that could do anything is gone. And now you're going to start digging at me. Yep, I sure am. So he he takes that shovel and he shoves it down under that rock. And it hurts, because you know what? That sin is part of you. It's part of me. And he starts digging it up, he pulls it out, and you are free. But you know what's left in you He's this big old gaping hole. And I've had this happen before. I realized I had this sin in my life. This has happened multiple times. God pulverizes that rock, and I feel literally an empty hole in myself, because that was a part of who I was. And God has to swoop in immediately and put His Holy Spirit into that 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 abscess that's in our hearts, all right. But He comes in and He starts digging up. But let me tell you what: don't fight sin until you fought self first, because don't don't go try to digging rocks out of yourself until yourself is broken. Up, it's soft, and it's open to God, and then the sins can begin to be extracted. We always try to go for sin first, and that's why we fail. Self is alive and well. Self has to die first, and then sins come next. So that's bully number two. We've got to overcome. What are some besetting sins? Lust, guys looking at girls all the time, girls looking at guys. Nowadays, guys looking at guys and girls looking at girls. That's lust, all right? It's wanting to look at someone's physical attributes. And God says, no, that's, their, that's the temple of the Holy Spirit. What are you looking at that for? That's not yours. Don't be looking at something that's not yours. That would be sin. You know, if, if you're consumed with alcohol, I think alcohol is a very dangerous thing, but drinking alcohol without getting drunk is not a sin. It's not a sin. I don't drink Okay, but if you drink and you get buzzed or you get drunk, that's a sin. The Bible says it's a sin. All right, and you can't help yourself, and you're doing that every day, every week. That's a sin. All right, and so so there's all. Read the Bible, and you'll find what sin is. There's all kinds of example of sin. All right, Uh, and you got to be careful of the things that leads to sin. All right. If you're hanging out with bad friends, well, you're on the path to sinning, all right? It's as simple as that. Pick your friends wisely. Choose godly friends, and you won't end up doing the wrong thing. So there's a lot of doors that you can go through that aren't bad in and of themselves, but they lead to bad places. And, you know, instead of God digging up rocks, let's avoid getting the rocks all together, you know? Keep them out of our lives. So, uh We've got to overcome sin. We have to, all right? Sometimes it takes years. It takes years to overcome besetting sin, but you hang in there until it's done. You hang in there until it's done. Verse 7, here's the third bully and the final one. Other seeds fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. All right, that's the third place. So some seeds fell amongst thorns, these kind of weeds and thorns that were choking out any progress that could be made. In verse 18, Jesus explains this one to his disciples. He says, listen to, to what this, the, the parable of the sower means here. The seed falling among thorns refers someone who hears the word, but what? The worries of life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word out and make it unfruitful. What is that? Well, I'll put it to you plainly, the way that it came to me, an enchantment with this world. An enchantment with this world. Um, I'll I'll give you six different thoughts about enchantment with this world. The first one is materialism and wealth. I never forget studying for a college exam. It's probably probably about a sophomore, so I was probably about 19 years old, 20 years old. Sitting in my backyard, studying my accounting book, because I was studying to be an accountant, And I thought to myself, someday I'm going to be rich. (laughs) And you know what? I wanted to be rich. I wanted to be rich. Not so much to have a bunch of stuff, but it just makes you feel, I think, I don't know, seems like it would make you feel good to be rich. But you know what it says? Don't be enchanted with this world. Is it wrong to be rich? No, no, no. It just can't grip you. You can't love it. You, if, if there's something you can't let go of, you know you're enchanted with it. you got to be able to say, watch, God, let me show you how I can let go of this. Boop. And you let go of it, and, he's, and it shows that it's not controlling you. All right? But materialism and wealth. Here's the next one. This is a big one. Education can enchant you. I've seen it happen over and over again. Education is the end-all. It's the solution to poverty. It's the solution to this, to blah, blah, blah. No, 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 no. Absolutely not. Education should not be an enchantment to us. It's a greasy old dirty tool that we have to get <laughs> because we live in this world. We need a job, and so we get an education. But don't be enchanted with education. It might. My son has just started college. Praise God. He's, he's getting his education. Dasha is, and, and uh, Madison is, and Anthony. I mean, these guys are doing the right thing, but don't get enchanted with it. There's not, it it's, not that, it's not that great of a deal. It's important, but it's not something to, that, that should just wow us. You know, If you have your MBA, good for you. Praise God. But you're no better than somebody who doesn't have anything all right? Education doesn't make you better than someone else. Here's another one. And and many of these I struggle with, all right? Success and greatness. This is one of mine. I want to be great. (laughs) I want to be great. I want to be known. I want to help people, all right? I want to be the best that I can be. And God's saying, hey, the greatest is the one who serves the most. So roll up your sleeves, Steve. Stop trying to be great and start serving people. Just serve, all right? I'll never forget, I was talking to this girl. She was a Christian. I met her uh, work-wise. I met her somewhere in, I don't know, Mississippi or somewhere. And she, I looked at her, and I told her a lie. I told her I lied to this girl. I looked, I was trying to encourage her, and I said, I see greatness in you. And many of us would say, well, you should tell people that. That encourages them. But that's, you know, as soon as... You see greatness in yourself. What you're seeing is yourself, all right? What we want to see in each other is Jesus. I see Jesus in you, and therefore I see greatness in you. I see Jesus in you, all right? So let's not strive to be great. Here's another one, fame and recognition, all right? And there I go back to social media. Whoever has the most followers, whoever's most known, all right? It's crazy. I'm trying to think of a YouTuber. I can't remember who it was, but, you know, YouTube, for all the older folks here, is absolutely revolutionizing the entertainment industry, all right? People who had no chance of ever being famous now have the opportunity and are taking advantage of becoming incredibly famous, incredibly famous. And so fame and recognition, beauty and looks. Don't worry, just have two more. Beauty and looks. Did you know the Bible? It says beauty is fading and charm is deceitful. Don't get into your look. Someday you'll be saggy, pruny, and ugly. We all will. All right? Every one of us. We're all headed there. We're bald. All right? What counts is on the inside. Beauty. Beauty's fading. Handsomeness is fading. Look at this. This is not a moneymaker anymore. The last one is talent and giftedness. We look Oh, we're enchanted with our giftedness and our talents. I'll never forget God doing this to me once. Um, I have some gifts, I have some talents, and guess what? I rely on them. I trust on my gifts and talents, and that's normal. And one day, I was work at work, and the Lord came to me and said, "Hey, Steve, what if I neutralized your giftedness? What if I neutralized your talents so that it didn't help you?" And I thought, "Well, that'd be kind of scary." <laughs> Because I go to him every day. You know what? He did that to me. For six months, he neutralized my talents and giftedness so that I couldn't rely on them anymore, and I had to rely on God. So be careful. Don't get enchanted with this world. Look at second we're almost done here. Um, look at second uh, Timothy 4:10, this guy named Demas, Demas. Paul talks of him and he says, "Because he loved the world, he has deserted me, and he deserted God." and gone on to uh, to another place, all right? Don't love the world. First John 2.15 is where you would expect me to read from. It says, do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in them. So if you're enchanted with the world, you're missing out on God's love for everything. The, love, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. Listen to this. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. There's two fail-proof ways you can tell if you're in love with the world, two of them, all right? And there are two sides of the coin. One, if you worry a lot, you're in love with the world, all right? That's probably every single person in this room. If we worry, you can trace that back to some enchantment of the world somewhere. Worry is fear of loss. And when you're not worried about losing anything in this world, you're not worried. All right? The other side to this is distraction. If you're one of those people like me, you just start daydreaming and you can't pay attention. And you know what? You're thinking about something that you love. (laughs) And you can't focus on God so two fail-proof ways of knowing if you're enchanted with the, the world and you can trace those back. So let me let me finish by saying this. Then there's good ground. There's the hard ground, there's the rocky ground, and there's the thorny ground. Then there's the good ground where the seed was sown. It gives th- uh, 160 and 30 times what was sown. Let me tell you what to be fruitful in the kingdom of God, you have to overcome your three bullies. You have to overcome these three bullies yourself, your sin, and your enchantment with the world. Otherwise, you literally will get to the end of your life and not born any fruit for Jesus. You have to. And, and I'm going to say something about Billy. Billy, all right? Billy came to our church for two years. I found him dead. In his room on Tuesday, 62-year-old man, uh, hard heroin crack addict for 25 years, 30 years. uh, Gave it up to Jesus about two years ago. Came here, started coming to church faithfully. Had experiences with God. um, Messed up at the end of his life. Overmedicated himself twice. The second time, he ended up dead last Tuesday. And you know what? Billy wasn't supposed to die. <laughs> he wasn't supposed to die. It wasn't his time yet. Um, God took him mercifully, but Billy would tell you today that God had a bigger plan for his life than how he ended up. All right? Was he fruitful? A little bit, but he couldn't overcome one of those three things. I don't know what it was. Maybe a, a combination of those three things. He didn't break all the way through. He told me, he and I, and we're going to talk more about this tonight in our memorial service. He and I had several conversations. He wanted to be a drug and alcohol rehab guy. He told me several times, Steve, I know what these guys go through. I can help them. I know how to help them because I've been through it. And, and I got through it. And I can, he was studying to do this, he'd already studied all kinds of courses and finished his exams. He was waiting for $430 and something else to happen. And he was going to start his internship helping people who were, who were addicts. But he couldn't kick his own bullies to make that happen. Do you want to get to the end of your life and not be fruitful? I challenge you. Kick enchantment with this world in the teeth and get past it. Cut your sin out. Let me tell you what, don't confuse effort for results, ever. Do you hear that? Don't confuse effort for results. Don't ever say, I'm trying. Stop trying and go do it. I'm I'm dead serious with you. I am so sick and tired of hearing myself say and others say, well, I'm trying. That doesn't matter. Go do it. Make it happen. Be a Christian. Be a disciple and see your life turned around. Kick your bullies in the nose or teeth or whatever and start winning. Be an overcomer. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we pray right now, God, that your people would rise up, Lord. Help us to stop being such spiritual wimps. Spiritual wimps. Lord, I'm a spiritual wimp. I let circumstances get me down, Lord. It's time for me to stand up, and say enough is enough. I'm going to stop putting a 50 percent effort, 30 percent effort, 90. Not even a 99 percent effort's going to cut it. I need to put in a hundred percent effort, Lord. And I have to stop fighting the wrong enemies, Lord. I'm fighting, Lord. Who knows, dozens of things. This situation at work, or this problem over here. Or, uh, not enough money over there. That's not my enemy. My enemy is myself. My enemy is my sin. And my enemy is my enchantment or love of this world. That's my enemy. Lord, so last week we identified it. This week we're confronting it. And next week we're going to be given some tools to actually begin to overcome these three things in our lives, Lord God. So I pray, Lord, I pray that your people would start getting serious with you. Serious. Just because we have a bad day doesn't mean that we give up. Lord, just because we have a bad week doesn't mean that we give up. Just because we have a bad year doesn't mean that we give up. No, 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 no. What is it going to take to turn our backs on you? I hope nothing. I hope nothing. Lord Jesus, so help your people to get serious with you. And I thank you, Lord, for it. In your name I pray, amen. Listen to me just really quick. Somebody would say, hey, this is a great time. Steve, you need to be praying for people. Let's ask people to come up, pray for them. I would say, no, get up and go do what you need to do. (laughs) You know, trust God. Be Be a strong person. David encouraged himself in the Lord. You and I, we can encourage ourselves in the Lord, all right? We're praying for you. We're praying for each other. I hope you're praying for me, all right? But go do it. Go do it. Go be a strong man or woman for God. Confront your enemy and begin to be victorious this week. Amen? God bless you guys.